0: much for being here. I'm Diana Pilates. As Richard said, I'm so proud to be here once again to do Rock Growth Candids, and thank you to everyone who's here and everyone who supports this really great effort. Our guest is Arunas Chasonis and um, he is the definition of a serial entrepreneur. Um, let's just start with, with what is on his um, resume right now, okay? He's the chairman and CEO of Sweetwater Energy, which is a biochemical company. A managing partner at Cranberry Capital, pretty self-explanatory. Chairman and director at FastCap Sy- <laughs> Systems, which is an energy storage company. Director of Fin6 Corporation, which is high-performing performing power electronics, right? Director of Ubiquitous Energy, turning ambient light into useful electricity. And please stop me if I'm wrong on any of these. Vice Chairman and Director, Clario Vision femtosecond laser technology to help pa- uh, patients who are ineligible for lasik surgery or are just afraid of eye surgery i think that are many of us that would be like that uh, okay and uh... chairman and director of eagle dream which is a healthcare software and services company and director of Satellus, which is a location-based technologies I'm talking about gps okay so that was eight so that's just the morning <laughs> now tell us what you do in the afternoon the other Six, correct, or five? Sure. Six. <laughs> okay, go ahead. What other ones do we have? You. Well,
1: so uh, maybe we just back up for one second. Okay. So thank you for letting me join you guys here today. Um, when we sold our last company about four and a half years ago. You mean Paytech? Paytech, yes. Oh,
0: nobody heard of that.
1: That's yeah. right. And, and, and so what? Um, what was great about that organization is it allowed us to try something else with our family and some of our friends. So we took... Myself, our CFO, our general counsel, chief accounting officer, the four of us. And we decided to create our own little venture family office firm called Cranberry Capital. And um, we actually have one of our first employees over there, Monica, uh, who's joined us recently, last year. And um, what we did is wanted to do impact investing. Whether it was in clean tech or life sciences or something else, we just wanted to make a difference. Because we didn't wanna go and do a brand new you know, telecom company. You didn't need another one of right. hundreds of telecom companies. And so that's how we got started. So I went undergrad at MIT, I went uh, MBA U of R. Mm-hmm. I was very active with both universities and we focused on clean tech um, businesses and technologies coming out of MIT <coughs> and life sciences out of U of R and RIT. And uh, we had a couple other things thrown in. So where we sit today, we have made 15 investments. Uh, put about between ourselves and our friends, put about $100 million to work. And we have about 400 people in those collective companies. And out of the 15, 14 are still alive and breathing. One kind of had to close their doors.
0: The companies, not the people.
1: Not the people. (laughs) And and so out of those 14 kids, we probably have eight really healthy, vibrant ones, Um, four okay ones, and two problem children we're (laughs) dealing with right now. Um, But hopefully uh, we'll be able to help them make it through. And
0: that's gonna be a good question about how, how you handle those, right? Okay, so, so we talked about all the ones that you do. What are the other ones you're doing?
1: Well, what's really fun is uh, out of um, uh, university roster, we've got one that's a wearable respiratory device on your chest to help you prevent um, getting attacks for asthma. It's called Healthcare Originals. There's a um, consumer packaging company out of LA that actually built their first plant um, with uh, sustainable packaging materials in Glens Falls, New York. It's a water, their first product is bottled water. Ex- some ex executives called Just Water and they wanna make just cheese and just this and just that and really get away from plastic being used for consumer products. Um, that's a g- really interesting one for me in the future because they just had a feature a couple weeks ago in the Sunday New York Times in the business section and um, what people don't know about, they're gonna come out of the closet in three months Um, the, the owners are Will and Jada Smith and their kids, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Calvin Harris, you know, so you're going to see their product all over TV, movies, concerts, but they really wanted to get the product established. It's in all the Whole Foods stores and the Kroger's and places like that. And then they're going to just go crazy. And it's really the Smith children that wanted to do something about the plastic that's floating in the Pacific Ocean kind of thing. And so we're just involved in so many really cool things. There was a Sunday article in the New Yorker this past week on all the vulnerabilities to GPS. That's exactly what Satellis fixes our our company. That person that wrote that article knows exactly about the business. And that'll be exciting, because I don't think we realize how dependent we are as a world on GPS. And it's one of the most vulnerable things to hack away at and spoof. The things Mm -hmm. that happened in (coughs) the Middle East with the US sailors being captured by the Iranian Navy, that was the Iranians doing a GPS spoof on the US military and they they tricked them into thinking they were uh, 50 kilometers different in a place so it was not engine trouble it was not any of that stuff it was a bushwhacking and so i mean it's really scary when you start thinking about it so i'm not wanting to depress you (laughs) you know a nice little event we're having here but uh, we're involved in some really cool stuff
0: and when you so would you say that you and you invest in them so you're on the boards and and tell us about your your so so
1: what we do is we go to the universities and we If you pick a place like MIT, there's probably 1,100 faculty. There's probably 65 or 70 that have a history of serial entrepreneurship, developing technology, coming out of their labs, have multiple winners. They kind of know and and, and they get a sense of what's going to work in the commercial world versus just a science project. And we focus with those faculty. We start getting to know the PhD graduates when they're coming out. And we're the early seed investors. One of us is going to sit on the board and help them not make as many mistakes as we did in our life, uh, in our history, hopefully. And um, then, we, then we put some Series A money in at the next round, get some other friends to put some money in there. We do a little bit less in the Series B and then get other friends to do that. Right, okay. And before you know it, you know, hopefully they're doing commercial stuff.
0: And, and when you talk about the other folks, these are folks like Keith Wilson. He, wou- yeah, he so it was We my were f- wanted him to be here tonight, but yeah. we'll get him another time.
1: Absolutely. So it's the, f- the four, <coughs> four of us that helped grow pay tech on the sort of the administrative side and the financial side
0: okay and go back because you did mention you know we we're all interested in how to start a business or keep a business going you talked about mistakes you made what are some of those mistakes
1: uh well lots like i can i can even think of like the the, the most recent you know mistake with sweetwater like when i started sweet uh, when i started working for sweetwater it was about four and a half years ago i was one of the early investors And, you know, one of my old colleagues at PayTech, Jack Barron, was running at the time. And RIT spin out, been around a little bit. And I thought, well, you know, I did PayTech, got successful, no problem. I'll go to biochemicals, biofuels. How hard can it be, you know? Um, (laughs) And so I go there and and get some friends to put some money in. And a year later, I'm looking at everything we're doing. I'm going, this was the dumbest idea I ever (laughs) did because this stuff will just not work. The business plan, the technology, it's not going to work. And, uh, you know, Peter put some money in. So I was like, sorry, bud. Um, <laughs> um, it's, but coming. It's, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> but then, you know, okay, so then we dig in. And I had, I had sort of trusted a group of people in the, um, in the company, but just because people are technically really sharp, but doesn't mean, you know, you are. And I didn't have that sixth sense like I did in telecom and IT, like I could sniff out when someone really doesn't know what they're talking about, or it just didn't make sense, you know, subconsciously, you really got to know your business. Uh, like either, you just can't start something from scratch. I, I just disagree with people say, you can just hire a good team and be successful, and not know anything about the industry. I don't personally believe that's a, that's a recipe for success. You can make it work sometimes by being lucky or, or, but I just think that's not the best way to go. So we dug in, got another technology, worked a little bit longer, and then that, wasn't quite right Then we did another technology and then the oil price dropped and corn price dropped and all of a sudden we're bingo bango like it's square one a year and a half ago. Then we finally hit it through persistence, a little bit luck um, and now we really think we've got something. But if you told me like if I had to go back in time and say if I knew then what I know now would I really kind of do this whole thing? <laughs> My wife told me not to do the business. And I said, no, nah, come on. Piece of cake, RIT, no problem. There you go. You know, um, but...
0: So but aren't you better because of it?
1: I think I've, I've stretched a whole brand new set of muscles. I mean, I got an F in organic chemistry freshman year in college. <laughs> and I'm like, I got an A junior year, but I averaged a C, all right. So, and it's all about organic chemistry. And I just, I think that the one lesson I've learned is, you know, and that's what helped me at Paytech. I had learned at Roster Telephone. I had learned at a company called ACC. I'd done a lot of startups in other countries through learning on other people's dimes, and and then it was, it was just easy for me at PayTech to understand where to go with the team, and, and I, I think that's the biggest message I try to talk to young people about is really make sure you understand what you're going at, um, really. I mean, you can't own a restaurant if you've never been involved with a restaurant, either working there or cooking there or mm-hmm. doing something, and I, I see so many examples of people trying to do businesses that really don't Fit their experience, and it just it, it it makes me nervous sometimes.
0: We could talk about the political situation, but we won't. Some folks, that <laughs> you, you got to know what you're doing. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so you you went to school at MIT. You weren't from Rochester. You were a civil engineering uh, graduate. What what happened? How'd you get here, and why'd you stay?
1: All right. So this is a kind of funny story. So I was 14. I'll go back a little bit. You'll go really fast. (laughs) I wanted to design undersea cities like Aquaman, (coughs) Marvel Comics. That was my my goal. That's my favorite, yeah. So back then there was no, like, internet. So you have to go to the guidance counselor and look for college brochures. I wanted an ocean engineering department. And I found one. It was MIT. I said, well, that's where I have to go to design undersea cities. So that's where I applied. That's where I went. That's how I ended up there. And then so I get to school, and ocean engineering is all about boats. And (laughs) I'm like, I'm screwed now, all right? (laughs) So... Um, I go, okay. Well, to be yeah, I on mean, top it's not of gonna it. work. So <laughs> then I said, okay, well, let me go to architecture department. So I took a course and I had a professor tell me, son, you have like great attitude, but absolutely no design talent at all. You should go to engineering and I was depressed. So I went to civil engineering. So I go, I'll tell the architects what they can and can't build. So I ended up doing that, did a cor- couple courses, summer job there in Boston. I worked for uh, a VA hospital did designing of halo vests for you know people getting uh, paralyzed with neck injuries right. and things yeah. like that. And then during lunchtime, I would go feed the the patients that couldn't feed themselves and just talk to them and hang out and thought I'd meet some nurses, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> I did that and I really enjoyed it. So I why not go pre-med? So I went pre-med junior year and that's, and so I'm doing this, um, thinking I'm applying to other med schools. I remember this distinctly, it's senior year, sitting in, um, the library, it's 2 a.m., studying for final. It's like December. Um, and back then, there was no Red Bull. So I had like, like a <laughs> 64-ounce Mountain Dew with no-dose that I mix in and <laughs> oh <yeah, laughs> create yeah. an energy bomb out of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, should have, I should have marketed it you back should then. should have, yeah. Ahead of my time. <laughs> and so, um, so, th- so <laughs> I go take a break, and I'm jittery and everything. So I go sit at the couch, and there's a Wall Street Journal and a New England Journal of Medicine. And I just naturally pick up the Wall Street Journal. Mm. And, and I looked at myself and I go, what am I doing? I'm gonna be a doctor and I don't care about the New England Journal of Medicine. I, I, I'm gonna be a horrible doctor. So I closed my books, took the test, went to the career office the next day and said, where can I work in business? Who's hiring for business people that needs an engineer? And I was interviewing construction companies, railroad companies, environmental engineering companies. But there was this one company, one year, that they came to campus to interview in 1984 and it was Rochester Telephone. Hmm. And they said, that was the the original breakup of AT&T and the Ma Bell system and all that, and they said, you don't have to be an engineer. We're gonna put you in four jobs every six months in two years, and if you make it, we're gonna promote you, and if you don't make it, we're gonna fire you. I said, that's my job. So, then in January, I come here, and there's a place on Monroe Avenue right near downtown called The Glass Onion, (laughs) right? And it was Monday night, and it was snowy, it was bad. I'm used to Boston, I mean, I was, you know, having a really good time in Boston with a fraternity. And so I come here, and I go, there's like 300 people and great young people and all friendly. It was a party on a Monday night. <laughs> Little did I know, it was like this one, of one and only reunion, you know, rock band that came <laughs> like once a year to the place, and the rest of the time, Rochester was dead. Yeah. No,
0: so no no, one goes out on Monday so night, no, for so heaven's sake. I got sake. fooled. I got yeah. fooled
1: thinking, like, the, if this is the Monday night scene in <laughs> downtown, I'm, I'm coming out to Rochester. So... So I do that, I come here, and then that's how, it, that's how I ended up here.
0: And, the, and so then you got your MBA and you moved your, fi- your mom and dad no, here and yeah, everything? Yeah, so
1: I so, uh, moved here. I uh, actually had an apartment weren't, um, right here on Windsor, 55 Windsor. Um, went Anybody to the went Y, there? all that stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, it's so weird because now I go to sleep at 11. Back then, I would get showered at 11. Yeah, to go out. Wow, like, remember like those? Very strange. Yeah. There are some young people here know, that still so do weird. this, Arunas, um, please. <laughs> but then you know so we her telephone they sort of paid for the mba uh went to another company met my wife there uh she was actually working for me uh as the vp of network um that didn't and so she didn't work for you for long not though. for <laughs> long but you know it's interesting because <laughs> i learned a couple things um never give your pregnant wife an appraisal that's not the highest level category <laughs> What a dumb frickin' move. <laughs> I mean, why didn't I just lie? Of course you're outstanding, seven months pregnant. You're not slipping at all, honey. Even Where if I'm she's from. not pregnant, yeah, you oh don't do God. that. Oh, my God. I was like, I was nuts. <laughs> um, so then, you know, with every successive kid that was born, we have four children. Uh, she went for t- 40 hours, 30 hours, 20 hours, and then finally consulting. And then we sold the company to AT&T. And so the funny thing is, so we start Paytech. AT&T, we left AT&T and hired a whole bunch of people. They were suing me personally and our other two founders oh. for 15 counts of 100 million each. We'd sold the company for billion and one, they're suing us for a billion and five. I'm going like, how's that work? Um, but what happened was they had kept my wife on. So oh. they're suing me for knowing confidential <laughs> information and they're keeping my wife working the British Telecom merger. <laughs> and I'm like, how does this work? So it just, it sort of happened that way. All the kids were here. We were born, you know, born at Strong, got married at the chapel at U of R. We're like a poster child for a <laughs> Rochester, you know, living.
0: So you stayed and you decided to do Paytech mm-hmm. and it was great success. You started in 98, right? Sold it in 2011. Mm-hmm. You took some heat for that though.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I don't know if you guys were going to ask, but I just how dealing with that was pretty tough because it was when the Midtown was being torn down and you were supposed to make a new a new tower there, and, and then windstream came in, and they they ended up doing it, but i I know that was a chance that you, you took a lot of flack, and I thought maybe you 'd leave, and you didn't
1: um, yeah <laughs> um, it was interesting because it was two thousand and eleven, and when you look at the way our industry at the time was in telecom was if we if you think about what Kodak went through with its its issues if we were doing about 2.2 billion in sales annually at PayTech when we sold. If we were pricing our product at the same rate we were selling it in 2000, the way the technology shifted, we, our revenues would have been eight billion. I mean, we, lo- we had to write down 75% of our business. I mean, Kodak had to write down 98% you know, yeah. of its film yeah, business. No. So it was at this point where it was gonna take another five or six years just to increase shareholder value. And you'd be, you had to be, at that point you had to go scale. And so there was a couple <coughs> partners and a couple different companies sort of skulking around in the bushes there, mm-hmm. looking at a, a acquiring. <laughs> and you were a public company, so you got you, you to do what you have to do as a public company. But we ended up with the best partner because we had 900 employees or so in Rochester when we sold the business and we have, and Winstream has about 800 in Rochester today. So over five years, 900 to 800, still not growing, but it was sort of the best for the people, the best for the community. But yeah, the, the blogs were kind of oh. rough. Yeah.
0: But like you said, the um, wind stream is there and you're still here. And how do, you, how do you do it? I mean, you're part of 14 or 15 companies, people relying on you, that's a, that's a lot. What do you, how do you get through?
1: Uh, well, the nice thing is the kids are older now, so I got more time on my hands. And we have really good people working there, uh, really motivated so folks. So that's important is to surround Absolutely. yourself with, r- I,
0: I mean, you can't be everywhere at every, no. every time, so you have to have people there.
1: But I definitely wouldn't do 15. If I could go back in time, and I would cut it down to three or four, definitely you need to spend more time with those companies. Um, that's one thing I got a little too aggressive with.
0: Is that a good word to say, aggressive? Sure,
1: I was stupid too. <laughs>
0: Because you gave a talk the other day, and you said you got to know one company and know it well. Mm-hmm. But you kind of did that in the beginning. So n- would you still not suggest doing this maybe later on if you've, after you've had a successful company?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I think what helps us is we focus in pockets, like in, in Boston. So right. we are, when we're traveling there, we're visiting with all the people there. We're traveling to Roster. We live, live here. We do a lot of stuff there. What ends up happening was I didn't realize we're starting to share all kinds of information and fundraising, and business development contacts. So, you know, the the person that's doing the see-through solar panels moved from Boston to Palo Alto. They got to know someone from Samsung Ventures. They know the other a company from the power electronics company down the street that they moved over there. They introduced them to Samsung. Now they're doing a project with Samsung because of that. So it's all the connections and the what do you call them? You call them. Collisions, that's what Richard <laughs> calls Useful them. Collisions. Useful, Useful collisions. Useful collisions, yes. Uh, that's a great line. And, uh, and so before you know it, it does work out okay. But yeah, you can definitely spread yourself too thin and, and it affects everything.
0: So, so if, if you could talk about Rochester and you stayed here, but what, what do you like most and what would you like to see change for businesses and just for you personally?
1: I, well, I love the community. I think we're quality of all types. It's convenient, it's, it's easy living. Um, I mean, taxes are a little bit high, obviously, but I think if you're young and you're worried about climate change, which is real, this is going to be a hot freaking place, let me tell you, Uh, in a good way because all the people from New York and Boston and Philly are living up here because we're 400 feet above sea level. (laughs) All right, so we're a pretty good place.
0: Yeah, water's going to be the true commodity. But it's really
1: really the community. I mean, the reason we started Paytech here was the people. There's really fantastic universities as feeders for all kinds of uh, employees now and in the future. You've got great experience companies. You've got a great ecosystem. We're doing more and more. I mean, Richard and Chris, I mean, they're involved in helping grow the accelerator and all the stuff here. She's just, you know, she's the new chair of uh, RIT. And RIT is, RIT is like 20,000 people. I mean, it's like one of the top 10 private schools in the the country. I mean, it's incredible what RIT's got Mm -hmm. going on. And so it's just, it's a really great place if you want to, you know, enjoy life, enjoy people, and um, and, and be entrepreneurial.
0: And, and be entrepreneurial. Any suggestions if someone's thinking about
1: uh, about, sta- about
0: starting starting up something?
1: Um, yeah, just get get talking right away. I mean, there's a whole set of organizations that want to help people start businesses here. I think we're we're not quite where we want to be, um, but no one is. I mean, I go to I go to Boston and we talk to the venture groups and all the people. And the people in Boston complain there's not enough support for entrepreneurship <laughs> in Boston. I mean, give me a break, honestly. Um, so everyone you know, sort of wants to do more, um, but I think we've got really good momentum behind us here.
0: I think so too. Anything you haven't done that you still want to do? You told me once that you don't play golf. You build businesses <laughs> instead. I mean, would you ever want to play golf maybe? maybe oh, uh, no, I, I
1: enjoy golf. I mean, yeah? it's fun, but you know, it's a lot of time. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just, uh, I think, I think um, the next kind of 15 years, we're spending a lot of time with my wife. She's into wildlife conservation. Uh, she does a lot of research around the world, goes to Africa, helps organizations. So I think we're going to try to do some fun things in Africa.
0: Wow. Like on conservation and things, any any.
1: Yeah, so so uh, one example is in Kenya. There's a really cool Wildlife Trust that does elephant orphanages and all that, all those good things. But you got to find really good organizations. But so in these state parks, there's pockets of private reserves that are protected by, you know, people that aren't connected with the government. So they have their own canine units, anti-poaching, you know, security, sure. helicopters, the whole thing. But but you got to let the animals roam. So what we're talking about doing is—is is there's there's huge pockets that the poachers really can get into, the countries we're talking to them about, um, basically, buying for 34 years at a time, a hundred square miles for 500 grand each. Oh. So basically, you you basically control the line for 34 years. They get out of the opex of having to protect it. You put in your own security teams, and you fill in all the gaps. And our goal is to get like a you know. Couple hundred people to do it so we sort of connect everything and make it one big protected area um, now after 34 years then you got something else to get paid but i think those are the kinds of ideas because you can't you can't fight the poaching you got to make sure that people have financially a right. reason not right. to poach exactly and and part of its security but part of its pay them to help you not poach
0: right right they ha- you have to offer something else or else people can't live there isn't enough there to keep them going well, thank you, Arunas so much. We are so thankful you're here and shared some of your advice. and I know you did give us a speech the other day, and uh, is that ever available on is it like online anywhere or anything like that? You have some um, You have some good good, sure. good little ditties on there, so maybe we'll see if that could come about. We know he wrote a book, so maybe he'll have another one in there somewhere. Um, would you like to a- uh, ask some questions now? Anybody have some questions for Arunas? He's won many awards, too, so we can go into those if you'd like. <laughs> go ahead.
1: I know that you've done some work with the Harley School with setting up things so the students will learn about sustainability. With that as a model, are you seeing spreading that out to other schools and hopefully even the inner city schools? Uh, great question. Um, I think um, with all the stuff that we've done sort of outward on technology and startups, I think you know, my wife and I, we've been talking about how to sort of step back and do more on the ground stuff. Um, so I think what I'm gonna be focusing on myself is more expansion of things like the open door mission in areas where you've got you know, kids and women in crisis and trying to help them through things. I think um, that's kind of where my head's at. My wife's definitely into sort of the, the wildlife around the world. Um, and with each of the four kids, they're kind of getting their own little focus. So I think the youngest who's gonna start college, she's gonna go early uh, childhood e- sort of education. I think she's the one that's the, the hope to do things like that um, here in the community. But um, that, that's the other thing the community's got. The educational system in some areas are phenomenal. And in some areas it's struggling so much because of uh, all kinds of things. So. There's a great charter initiative here. There's great people doing work in the public schools to try to make them better. But we got, we got problems just right here that we need to focus on.
0: Any more questions? Yes.
1: I'd love to hear you speak about um, how you decide who you choose to invest in. So as a youngish person who's starting a business, I'd be really curious about both, like the, um, the qualities, the personal qualities you look for in the innovator or in the founder, as well as the quality of the idea or aspect of the idea where you go I think that will go. Sure, so for us, it's a it's a, maybe a little bit different than most people. We we look at things that are three to four X better than the competition. If you're 10% better on your you know, your generator than GE, we're you, not gonna do it because they're, they're gonna surpass and put too much money behind it. Or you gotta be really unique or disruptive. So that's sort of the first filter. Second filter is you come out of labs that people kinda don't mess up. I mean, most of the people at MIT, to be honest, as professors would would go out of business if they try to create a lemonade stand on their neighborhood. They just don't know how to do it. <laughs> so you gotta really focus on the people that get that. Um, and when you're talking about qualities you look for in the person, um, it's not just you, it's a couple of the team members. But, you know, I guess the, the nicest way to say it is, you can't be jerks. <laughs> and there's a lot of jerks out there. And I use different phrases usually, but, um, <laughs> you know, because if you're not if you're not sharing and you're not collegial and you're not sensitive and helpful to your partners and your customers and your vendors, I mean, you can't change your personality. You are who you are. You can modify a little bit, but you can't be a jerk. And, and that filters a lot of people away from us. And you kind of have to want us to be involved and help you.
0: How about another question? Yes, sir.
1: What, what advice do you have for people
0: leading organizations in today's
1: day and age? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I just had this conversation with a young sort of president of a company here. Um, uh, I always think that if you, if you can somehow translate your personal motivation as the owner of a leader of an organization and make every single person feel that they're just as much an owner as you are, that you got a much better chance at success. So how do you make them feel like an owner? Um, owners kind of know what's going on, mm-hmm. right? So we try to make sure we communicate all the time on the good things, the bad things, the what's going you know, So can you have a, you, you don't wanna like have a daily meeting with all hands on deck. That's like, you could <laughs> not make money on that. But you know, once a week, bring people together, 20 minutes, tell them what's going on in person. Tell them, uh, you know, some a atta- girls in the sense of, you know, you did really well. Um, recognize hard work and and be honest with people. When your public is a little tougher, when you're private, it's a lot easier. Um, Owners kind of share in in the profits of the business. So how are you sharing profits and success with people, whether it's commissions or bonuses. So, you know, create a little bit more value getting spread out to all the employees. Um, And I guess the third thing is the owner, you know, can always say what they think, right? Or their leader, even if it's a dumb idea. So how do you really have a culture and environment where someone is not slammed uh, or feels bad that they brought up a suggestion, even if it's not the best suggestion, you know, don't just go, well, yeah, we're not gonna do that. Well, thanks for your idea. Let's think about, um, you know, I'm not sure this will work, but this is why I think it won't work because of this, this, and this. And you you force them to tell you why they think their idea would work. But if you can make people feel like they can be open with you about good things, bad things, ideas, you share a little bit more in the value and they know what's going on, now they're starting to feel like an owner. And when they feel like an owner, you know, they take that call at 8, 8 p.m. Sunday. I mean, I see emails from Monica coming in at, you know, Monday at, you know, 1.30 in the morning. Okay. And I'm going like, well, get a life, Monica, honestly. She's, um,
0: she's just getting home, right? right? <laughs> she's just getting home.
1: But if you can... If, if you, if you can really do that, I mean, I think you got a really cool culture and things going on. I mean, you you think about all the companies in town that do stuff like that. I mean, Wegmans is great at that, and and Dixon Schwabel as a small company, is good. With, I mean, there's so many organizations here that do great cultural work like that. Um, I, I think we could just learn from the people in town.
0: Another question. Go ahead
1: follow up on what you said? Have you ever taken an employee's idea and brought it to fruition and into a product? Uh, I always plagiarize and steal ideas from employees um, <laughs> and, uh, and from and competitors and from customers <laughs> and from everyone else, but absolutely. I mean, I think the people that are the closest um, to the actual work being done in operations or in sales or closest to the customer, they, they a lot of the best ideas come right from there. And if you're not listening, then you should, you know, hit across the head, definitely. Yes, Andrew.
0: Uh, You're talking about a fairly, you know, enlightened view of leadership, and I'm just wondering if that's something you always kind of had, or or, or over the course of your career, if that's something that's that's evolved, or or how that's really evolved, how your your view of leadership has evolved over time.
1: Um, That's a a really interesting question. Um, I don't think I've ever had that question. You were just born this way? You know, (laughs) I had a really really good set of bosses over the first like from when I was like 21 to Mm. 25. I had like seven or eight at Roster Telephone and ACC. And I really took advantage of that. Um, And I I, 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 I really went after people that I thought I could really learn from and get a lot out of. And so I watched how those folks did it and it really, what we were just talking about was a lot of the actions that they were always taking. Uh, now people have different styles and you have to, f- you can't be fake, you have to do it your own particular way. Um, but like right now, like I'm petrified of public speaking. I can't, I don't eat, I don't drink before I go on. I mean, I, can't, I I'm really nervous. And, but that's why I always have to be walking around or doing this or doing that because I'm jittery. I can't, I could never do this, right? Um, uh, so you have to find a, a style and a, and a way of working that fits your, your body chemistry, I guess. Um, but I think ultimately if you, if you think you're going to make more money by telling people what to do versus listening to them and getting their best ideas and getting them motivated, I think, I think you're in for, you know, maybe you can make that work but I think you're ultimately gonna make a lot more money if you're just nicer to people. I mean, you can still be like a dictator behind the scenes if you really want, (laughs) you know? But, you know, I I just think you get more, you know, with uh, with a positive spin than a negative spin. Um, I'm sure Danny Wegman isn't the easiest guy to deal with all the time, but his image and his caring and the way their family and their organization works, I mean, being nice does, you know, does make money. Now we'll see the whole Donald Trump thing, I suppose, in a different <laughs> way. But, <laughs> but then again, yeah, we don't want to go down that conversation <laughs> Yeah, yeah, road let's right not now. go there. Um, but that's a really good question. I'll have to reflect on that. That's a, I, I enjoyed that question.
0: So do you do you take time to, to take classes or to a- attend seminars or you know leadership training? Did did you ever do that or do you?
1: Oh sure. I mean, I I think my favorite course ever in my MBA um, sort of um, work was one organizational behavior mm-hmm. called the rules of the game and um, it was a, a professor now that's at Harvard pretty famous guy and, and he was just phenomenal about whatever the, the rules are that you set up for compensation and behavior and success that's how people are smart they're gonna do the stuff that you set up as the rules and if you set up dumb rules and conflicting rules that's what they're gonna right. go work on so um, Absolutely, you can you can always learn from somebody.
0: Yeah, lifelong learning. We're big supporters of that. Any other questions? Yes, Sam. If you were to look at your investment of time for the fifteen different companies, likewise your investment of money in the fifteen companies, which one of them is closer to Pareto
1: distribution? You know, I don't I I don't think we've really um, I don't think there's that much correlation between money invested and time invested. It it actually almost sometimes is opposite where you spend more time on some of the things that you spend less money on because they need more support and help you don't have the the broader team that can run on their own. Um, But I think the the card is uh, factors from the outside that happen. You know, when the three of the companies had really Strong initiatives, and we're really rocking and rolling with oil and gas. And then everything hit 18 months ago, and they became, you know, sort of problem children that you had to recover from. Um, So again, you kind of have to worry about those outside factors sometimes.
0: Okay, thank you very much. I think we have to have to do this again, and we can ask more questions again. But thank you very much, Arunas Chasonas. Thank you to everybody for being here.